Welcome back to another episode of Car Care for the Clueless, coming to you via the webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Pam Oaks. I'm also the author of Car Care for the Clueless, or How You Can Make Money While Maintaining Your Vehicle. That's what this show is based on, how you can make money back on your car. Boy, wouldn't that be great if we could do that with other things? I'm sure we can, but my forte, being an ASC certified technician, is the automobile. And I'm here to help you with yours. So today we're going to start off with a listener who emailed us asking us about what is a tachometer. Well, most of us have it. It's on our instrument panel next to our speedometer. And we're going to learn a little something about that. One of our other listeners, Tammy from Florida, has a question regarding an odor that she's starting to get from her air conditioner in her vehicle. We're going to tell her how to fix that by utilizing a product less than $10. And of course, our gadget guru is going to be back, Peter Sudak, with another summertime gadget. Economically priced, of course, so uh, you can get through your summer vacation while traveling the roads of our nation. But first, let's get on with Tom from Ohio. Tom's got that question about that tachometer. Let's learn about the importance of that little dial on our dash. Let's give Tom a call, shall we? Hey, this is Pam. How are you? I'm doing well, Pam. Good. Do you have a moment? Yes, I do. Okay. You and I were talking, and you asked, why is there a tachometer on your instrument panel? Yes, I did. Whatever made you think of that? Well, uh, uh, most recent automobiles I had, there's a tachometer, okay? Mm-hmm. I look at that dial, and then you multiply it by 100, uh, as I understand it was RPMs, uh, revolutions per minute. Correct. What's going on? How many res- the revolutions per minute? For what part of the motor, uh, and what is it supposed to tell the driver of the car? How many RPMs it shows on that dial versus what it shows on the speedometer? Okay, each car is different. First of all, the revolutions per minute that you're uh, looking at is actually uh, timed off the crankshaft. Off the crankshaft. And it's in thousands. So you see one, and that's 1,000. You see two, and that's two thousand, and you'll actually see the uh, revolutions go down depending upon what gear you're in your transmission when it shifts down. Uh-huh. Okay, and that that's the torque available basically to the rear wheels. Okay, to make the car go forward. Uh-huh. Long time ago, you know, they actually uh, only used tachometers, of course, and uh, NASCAR and Indy and so on and so forth, but way, way long time ago, they uh, started using them in trains. That's when they first were developed way back. It's to measure the speed of the train. Uh And then, of course, we got into the automobile, and they just applied that over to the automobile. And they had tachometers before they had speedometers. And this was kind of important, especially on a manual transmission, Mm -hmm. because then they could measure, you know, a shift pattern, and they could... um, make life a lot easier on the on the engine and the transmission, you know, with proper uh, shifting on a manual transmission. I see. You should only get up to a, a certain speed Certain. You shift. Yeah, remember they used to call it redlining an engine, and then the engine would blow up? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. But, you know, nowadays the electronics have taken over, and they have uh, limiters on there. 
you know, having a tachometer is more for decoration than actual purpose. Yeah. Yes, that's a good question. What is the average driver, what it, should, what it should mean to them, and how do they interpret what they're reading there? Ten out of ten people do not. No, they, they don't. I'm, I would say that average is higher. People uh, may see it on there, but a lot of them don't even know what it is. And like I said, when you'd be racing, street racing, or, you know, on the track, I mean, uh, that's all you would look at is the tachometer. You wouldn't... You don't care how fast you're going. The tachometer is telling you the whole story to get the most performance on your car. Nowadays, it's decoration. It's just a decoration. Yeah, the the computer takes everything over. Takes all the fun out of it. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. I just never understood uh, Mm -hmm. totally why that they need that to put them in a passenger automobile. Yeah, just just to make it look fancy, you know. Uh It looks sophisticated and... All the different computers in the car, that takes over for you. So it's not like, well, you're driving the car, yes, don't get me wrong, but I mean actually driving, driving, uh, commanding uh, the engine. You know, the computer takes over, especially with that limiter in there. And that's all to prevent mechanical damage because, of course, we all know engines have mechanical limits. Yeah. I'd like to raise another, a little question in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, when do they start using computers in the automobile, on, in the automobile engines. Well, it started with General Motors in 1980 and a half, those models. And then uh, Ford and Chrysler, uh, they came along around 83, 84. And then the foreign applications, they came on line with it soon after that. But um, it, all it is to ensure you to get your optimum fuel economy. That's the whole purpose of the whole thing. Well, it would seem to me um, today's mechanic, not all automotive mechanic, has to be just uh, a whole, a whole great, a great deal more educated in the work than it was back in the days of, well, the so-called shade tree mechanic. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, even ten years ago, the the today's technician. I mean, me personally and my shop, uh-huh. we go to school update school every eight to ten weeks in fact we just had one about two and a half weeks ago through uh ac delco general motors Uh for the uh hybrids that are coming out Uh and basically um you know we don't want anybody even popping the hood on a hybrid because people don't realize you can literally electrocute yourself really so you just don't i mean look at the pictures online if you want but don't take the risk because you don't know what you're poking at. Mm-hmm. And especially if you make contact, you know, they're teaching us a whole new way of working on vehicles. It's one arm behind your back when you work on hybrids because you do not want to make that complete circuit. Oh, yeah. You have it go through your chest cavity, past your heart. I mean, that will put you in cardiac arrest. Wow, wow. It's, it's serious, serious stuff. And um, unfortunately, technicians aren't taken as serious and as educated as they really are. You know, people still have the old mindset from 50 years ago, Um, and it's not true. Well, I've been very informative. Well, thank you. Thank you for asking that question. I think that was a very interesting topic that you brought up. Nobody's ever asked that before, and I just found that quite intriguing. So thank you for taking the time. Well, you're 
your answer was every bit as interesting as maybe my question was. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, thank you, Tom, and you take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, on today's cars, how everything is so automated and controlled by computers, the tachometer really is a decoration more so than it has a useful purpose for the driver, for the consumer. Way back when, they used to race, well, they still do today, but they rely on the tachometer. They don't have a speedometer in the car. They have a tachometer. And the tachometer is telling them how many revolutions per minute that engine is turning, how many turns the crankshaft, which is the component that moves the vehicle, that it's the end result of the pistons and the valves moving up and down and everything, is the end result of how much torque you're getting out of that vehicle to make you go forward. And people don't realize either that where you see the one, two, three, four, five, that's in thousands. So next time your car breaks down, think of where that tachometer is sitting while it's at idle. It's between six and 750 RPMs, revolutions per minute. Think of the vehicle has over 50,000 moving parts. It's a miracle that it runs for so long with so little repair. That's why it's extremely important to keep your car maintained. And doing the surfaces when they're due means the car is going to last that much longer. You know, way back, they used to uh, race on the streets and everything, and, and you've heard things like redlining the engine. That means taking that tachometer needle and pushing it to the red line. Well, that red line means danger, stop, no. You know, red means stop. You're going to cause engine damage or, and or failure. Well, nowadays, they have what they call a rev limiter, and this actually limits the engine speed to protect the damage that could be unintentionally or intentionally done by revving the engine up past its mechanical limit. You know, a lot has gone in from cars 20, 25 years ago to today that they actually have devices in there to protect us from ourselves from causing undue damage. But first I'm going to have you uh, talk with Jim with me, and uh, you've got to hear the story about pushing a motor to its mechanical limits. Jim's from Texas, and I'm telling you, he definitely has the stories and uh, proof to back it up. He, he's great, great technician, great guy. This one is just too cute to pass up, but to show that any engine has mechanical limits, let's talk to Jim real quick, shall we? Pam's Motor City, this is Jim. Can I help you? Hey, it's Pam. Hi, Pam. How are you? I'm busy, busy, busy. That's good. Tell, tell me about this lawnmower. I know you were talking that you never redlined a car before and blew it up, but you're telling me about this lawnmower. I never knew you could redline a lawnmower. Well, sure you can. How? <laughs> Taking hold of the throttle wide open. Yeah. Comes unglued. Oh, like wide open throttle all the time? Yeah, I just I just held it there until until something give up and actually it threw a rod. A rod <laughs> come to the side. The, the lawnmower. Yeah. Really? Well, that's interesting. I never. Uh, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't make the thing run right. And I kept working on it. Kept working on it. Kept working on it. Yeah. And uh, of course, this is years ago, back when I had anger management problems. <laughs> and so I decided. I decided it was going to run or die. And <laughs> guess what it did. <laughs> When I got it, when I finally did get it to run, I I just stuck the throttle wide open and sat there and started 
shaking and start barking and smoking. <laughs> oh my god! And they say, you know, you hear pop, and that was, and it boom, blah, 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 blah. You could hear it slapping the side of the case. Oh wow! As it stopped, yeah, it was horrible. Little four-stroke engine, you know, it's like a little mini car engine. Just, that's what happens. Come from together. And that's what happens to them. Wow. Okay. But yeah, it's no biggie. But it was it was funny because they're screaming, "You're going to blow it up!" And I went, "I know." <laughs> you just had enough of it. I it pushed you over your own red line. There you go. It's the, that's the plan right there. Watch this thing go. And then I'll quit messing with it. And, and of course, I did. I got in the truck, went out and bought me a new mower. <laughs> <laughs> got in the truck and drove off. She goes, Where are you going? I'll be back. Jim, you have done that where others have only dreamed of doing that. Well, I I wouldn't quit. I, as long as it had a chance, I wouldn't quit working on it. You know? Yeah. But it was when, past that point. When I, when I took its chance away. That was it. That was it. Then I could, then I could move on. That's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, thank you for that interesting uh, story. I don't know. Sound that light. That's not a pretty light. <laughs> <laughs> You see my neighbors out there going, what the heck is wrong with that guy? He's crazy. <laughs> it's called exasperation. He's going to stand here in the driveway cussing his lawnmower. <laughs> no, you know what? They probably were cheering you on because they've done the same. <laughs> Every guy at one time or another has felt like that. <laughs> and you know what? You've lived the dream. <laughs> all of us, All of us are indebted to you. Well, I I appreciate that, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. Take care, bye. If you're just tuning in, you've been listening to Car Care for the Clueless on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Pam Oaks. Today we've been talking about what a tachometer is, located on your instrument panel, how to keep your vehicle's AC system free and clear of mold and mildew spores and the smell that it brings, Peter Sudak, our gadget guru, coming up for another summer vacation gadget for your vehicle. And I invite you, please, to look in our archives on webtalkradio.net for Car Care for the Clueless and see what you've missed out on. We've had a bunch of interesting topics, and I invite you to partake. But uh, let's get on with our show. So let's get on to our next email. Tammy from Florida said that she is experiencing a musty, kind of nasty odor coming out of her AC vents when she turns her vehicle on. I'm not surprised. Now is the time where we have a huge influx of mold and mildew spores in our AC system. As a matter of fact, our AC systems in our homes and, of course, in our cars, because that's what I know best, automobiles, you will get mold and mildew spores in the evaporator pan drain. This is kind of like, well, not quite, but close to little Legionnaire's factory in our car if we don't maintain it and keep the mold and mildew spores out. We do not want to breathe in this literally toxic fumes of mold and mildew spore. We want to have it flush out of the water that drips out of the bottom of the car when the AC is on. This condensation period is supposed to keep it all flush. Sometimes the mold and mildew spores will take over and they will literally plug the drain. I know many of you have had vehicles that this evaporator drain has backed up 
and it has soaked the passenger floor. You know, you put your purse down and your shoes are wet, your purse is wet, and you're pretty irritated too. Well, this is from it being blocked from the mold and mildew spores. You do not have to pay a technician to have this fixed. All it takes is a couple of cans of your favorite scent, Lysol. I particularly like the fresh white linen scent. It smells quite nice. And these are the steps to handle your mold and mildew spore buildup and eliminate that. And think of all the money you're going to save taking it into the shop to have this done because they're going to do the same thing. But uh, get your pen and pencil handy and are you ready? Okay, first step, we turn the car on and we put the AC on normal. Normal with the blend air door all the way cold. We want it cold, we want it on normal. We want the fresh air button pushed in instead of the recirculation air, if you happen to have that system. Then we want you to go out, and there's these two little black vents right next to the windshield. In each black vent, we want you to spray for 30 seconds on each side. Go back inside the car, put the vent on. No hot, no cold, just plain outside air. Turn the AC off, you just want plain outside air. Again, go back and spray each individual vent for 30 seconds each. Then go back into the car, and you turn the heater on. And you take that heater, and you make it as hot as you can. Put that little arrow all the way over in the red. Make sure, again, that everything is still in the fresh air, no recirculation, blend air door. We don't want that closed. We want the fresh air on. So we go back out, and we hit it again for 30 seconds each screen. Go back in the car. Then we want you to go and put the AC back on normal, back all the way to the cold. Make sure it's cold. And then we're going to hit those vents on the outside, right in front of the windshield, one more time. 30 seconds on the left, 30 seconds on the right. Now, if you go back in the car and you notice, it kind of smells like Lysol. Well, that's why you pick your favorite scent of Lysol. So it's not so pungent. You don't want anything that you're not going to be able to tolerate. So that should take care of your mold and mildew spore problem and your smell. That is, if you do this every three to four weeks, we want to keep this in check. We don't want to have a runaway train and have this stuff that it's just floating around. And you can smell it a little bit, but ah, it's tolerable. No, none of it's tolerable. You do not want to inhale mold and mildew spores. So please adhere by this. If you are unsure where these vents are located, just ask your ASC certified technician. He'll be more than happy to show you where the vents are located on the outside of the car. This is something you can do yourself with under $10 worth of Lysol products. How can you go wrong? It's great for your car. It's great for your health. It's a no-brainer. So next, let's uh, talk to our gadget guru, Peter Sudak. Peter's got another summer vacation travel gadget for us, and it's economically priced, so that means we can spend more on souvenirs or cotton candy or what have you. So let's give Peter a call. This is Peter. How can I help you? Hey, Peter. This is Pam. How you doing? Hi, Pam. How are you today? Good. I understand this week you have a pretty interesting gadget for us, something that we take for granted as technicians, but the average consumer rarely thinks about. And it's a very important one, very more common than you think, the fire extinguisher. 
wonderful idea. I mean, all of us have one in our vehicles, but, you know, it's not common practice for the average consumer to have one in theirs. And no, and it's definitely recommended. Just uh, the reason to have one is just in case you're, you know, traveling either around town or you're on a vacation and, you know, God forbid something happens, your car catches on fire, like either something with the brakes or something in the engine compartment, you just pop the hood and shoot the fire extinguisher all over it and at least douse the fire and minimize the damage till you know, help can arrive so your whole vehicle doesn't burn down you don't have to go looking for another car. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm just going to point out to the listeners that on New Year's Day, somebody uh, came in our parking lot. Of course, we were closed New Year's Day, but they were driving, came in our parking lot. They didn't have a fire extinguisher. We found out about that later. Their uh, brakes overheated, and because of that, their car caught on fire. And had they had a fire extinguisher, remember remember that? you tell me about that, yes. Yeah. We went and saw the aftermath. We were trying to figure out if... Something, a car burned down, or somebody decided to have a weenie roast in the parking lot, or whatever is going on. But we asked the guys, you know, next door at the parts house, what happened, and they all told us the car just pulled right, pulled right up, stopped, and was blazing on fire within minutes. I'm like, oh, that's nice. Okay, yeah. <laughs> nobody bothered to call us, but that's okay. And yeah, that's true too. Fire, fire extinguisher would have been handy there. It's definitely. And the car, it's good to have, and it's good to have one at home as well. That's true. Just, just in case there's problems. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we have one at home as well. But, um, yeah, in the car, you know, that probably uh, could have prevented the vehicle becoming fully involved with that fire. Yeah, from what I understand, from just from the little short time, it was like a minute or two, and that whole car was engulfed in flames. There was nothing anybody could do about it. Just That was it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, folks, we're talking about something smoking or something smaller than a salad plate right if it's larger than a salad plate and everybody knows what a salad plate is it's a yeah. lot smaller than a dinner plate you get away from the car just get away from it as far as you can and just let it go that's right so, so the professionals arrive see if they can do anything with it but yeah if it's a tiny little fire that you can squirt out real quick yes it'd be definitely handy to have one in the car to do that if it's larger than that definitely Back off, call 911, tell them your car's on fire, and just get as far away from it as you can, just in case, like we say, God forbid, it, you know, the car explodes or engulfs in fire or, you know, something horrible happens. You don't need to be near it. Just, no. You know, you can replace the car, a human being, you can't. Exactly. And you know, the, folks, the gas tank isn't going to explode like you see on the TV shows. It's, no, it'll pop. Yeah, but, I know that. you know, if somebody has... Uh, you know, they're on oxygen or something, left their tank in it, that's yep. going to explode. That will definitely go, yes. Plus, you don't want to be near the fumes no, of that. because all the chemicals they use for all the plastics, the, you know, if the tires catch on fire, boy, that's, from what I understand, those tires will burn for a long time, and it's a big, so well. thick black smoke, and it's nasty. I mean, it's just all sorts of chemicals in there that you don't need to be nearby as well. No, it'll actually kill you. Yeah. That will kill you. Okay, well, Peter, I think that's an excellent suggestion, and it's economically priced. Remember, folks, you want the A, B, and C fire extinguisher. It'll say A, B, and C fires. You want A, B, C fire extinguisher, and um, what an excellent suggestion, Peter. Yeah, and like I said, you don't need the big, huge, 
Monster One. They they come in all different sizes. Just get yourself a little small one that'll fit in a compartment in the trunk, and that's that's all you need. You don't need you know the huge monster industrial ones like we have here at the shop, because obviously you know we run into more bigger problem potential problems here than you would just driving your car. You just need a small one. That's all. Exactly. Well, thank you, Peter. Okay, Pam. And take care, and we'll talk to you next week. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now for Pam's Automotive Moment. You know, throughout the summer, we're going to be going to picnics, company picnics, the beach, the golf course, what have you. And it's always important to remember that if you're going to partake in alcoholic beverages, adult beverages, that uh, you do that responsibly. And being a responsible um, guest or host means that you don't drink and drive. I don't know how many times that you have heard don't drink and drive and seen the commercials on TV, literature. I mean, we're just bombarded with it, but people still do it. So for those who have heard it a million times uh, after one of your little holiday uh, trips or events, there's no reason for it. A lot of towns... A lot of cities, they will have towing services that if you tell them that you've been drinking and you think you have a little bit too much, they'll actually tow your car home for free. Just check with your uh, local tow companies. If not, uh, your local law enforcement, they'll be able to tell you which ones are participating in that program. You don't have an excuse. Let somebody else drive you home. You don't have the inconvenience of having to go pick up your car. Let them take it home. Let them take you home. Just don't drink and drive. It's not worth it. It's not worth the tens of thousands that you're going to pay out in fees and time away from work. And it's not worth risking the rest of us on the road who uh, are paying attention. We have to watch out for you. So please don't drink and drive this summer. Let's just all be safe out there, okay? Well, I don't know where our half hour had gone. Hopefully next week I'll be over my allergies. And our rain is here in Florida again, and that's going to help me a lot. Actually, that's what brought them because that's where it activated all the mold and mildew spores in everybody's air conditioning system that I have been looking at for the past week in their automobiles. So it's important to take heed to what I had said earlier in the program. And you can avoid the same fate that I'm going through right now with the allergies. Our up-and-coming topics requested by listeners' emails include, which I think is almost as intriguing of a question as Tom had earlier, a listener wanted to know why they still had grills on the car. Since they uh, know that there's electric fans cooling the radiator and the condenser, they were curious to find out why they still have grills on the car. That's the uh, little mesh on the nose of the car for the air to go into the engine compartment. So that's going to be pretty interesting to talk about, something that a lot of us don't think of. And, of course, we'll have Peter Sudak, our gadget guru. He'll be back, and a whole plethora of other items that People have emailed us, and we're going to try to catch up on those again. Thank you again for our emails. If you have a car care question for me, and you'd like to uh, talk about it on the show, please send all your questions to carcareforthecluelist.com. It's all one word, Car Care for the Clueless. And if you'd like to purchase my book, Car Care for the Clueless, or how you can make money while maintaining your vehicle, you can go to... Our website, carcareforthecluelist.com, 
Or you can go to the shop website, pamsmotorcity.net. The book's available in paperback. You can download it to your digital media, to your Kindle, and it's all to help you keep money in your pocket where it belongs. And remember, you too can be a savvy car care consumer. Until next week, take care.